Welcome to Remote Controlled, Variety's TV podcast. I'm Deborah Birnbaum. Every week, we'll bring you conversations with some of the best and brightest in television, working behind and in front of the camera. On this week's episode, we've got a How to Get Away with Murder special. We're talking to creator Peter Nowak, as well as some members of the cast, Alfred Enoch and Billy Brown. So stay tuned. Hi, I'm Deborah Birnbaum, Variety's Executive Editor of TV. And I'm Elizabeth Wagmeister, Variety's TV Reporter. And it's my pleasure to welcome Pete Nowak. Hello. Should I introduce myself? You can introduce yourself. You're the creator of How to Get Away with Murder. That's right. You, like, you can do it for me. I can do it for you. Thanks so much for joining us. <laughs> so happy to be here. So we're talking to you at a very exciting point in How to Get Away with Murder. You left us on a bit of a cliffhanger last season. Yeah, I thought you were going to say exciting point because I'm almost done writing this season and I'm so excited. Ooh. So that yeah. means we can ask you all the questions and you can give us all the answers. I'm going to tell you everything that happens, but I'm excited because I finally know who killed Wes. Mm-hmm. And you know, it takes me a while to always figure out the questions, that, the answers to the questions we set up. That was actually one of the questions we were going to ask you because we knew that you didn't actually know who was under the sheet, but do you know who killed Wes? Yes. When we decided to kill Wes, very sadly, I had no idea who killed him. But, um, you know, I think that's how I've decided we write the show, is that there's no planning. And um, in order to write it well, we have to surprise ourselves, the writers. Um, So I think pretty much right before hiatus um, that we went on, like, our little Christmas break, I was like, I'm going to spend all Christmas break thinking about who killed Wes. Uh, We figured it out. So it's been, I'm excited about it. I think it's really good. What went into the decision? Oh, everything. Um, (laughs) Mostly it's what's believable and what feels surprising, but, you know, not in a way that feels far-fetched. I think that's always the balance that that we're trying to do because there's so many twists in the show. Like, clearly... You know, and sometimes we're successful, sometimes we're not, I'm sure. Um, Clearly, you can always surprise the audience with something coming out of left field. But does it feel like we set it up? Does it feel earned? And um, I think that's what I like about this surprise, is that it feels valid. (laughs) (laughs) I wish everyone could see the smile on your face right now. And it feels... I'm setting it up. You're all going to hate it. Watch. But And it feels um, right. And that's usually the uh, when I know that it's right is like it's in my gut. So that's what I'm just... I'm relieved about it, honestly. Otherwise, sure. I can't sleep. Yeah. Does it set up a season four? Do we, you leave us on another cliffhanger? We will set up questions for season four, yes. Um, and I think this along with a lot of answers this gives you it does set up some more questions so you're gonna have to keep on coming along for the ride as long as abc lets us but hopefully fingers crossed i have a feeling they will i do too (laughs) will that reveal of who killed west come at the very end of season three um it will come yes in the finale but there will be lots of answers about what happened that night throughout each episode so we will see wes and flashbacks in every episode. So you'll get little pieces of the puzzle um, to keep you satisfied. Talk about that decision to kill off Wes. I mean, that had to come, you know, that couldn't have been an easy decision to make. No, it was definitely the hardest decision I made 
um, since starting the show. Um, and I feel irresponsible saying this, but I didn't really get the severity of it when we came up with the idea of who's under the sheet. Like, you know, it's, it's easy to be like, oh, we'll come up with something that's not painful later. But as we got closer and closer when writing each episode that we, and closer to the reveal, I started getting really sick to my stomach because I knew it had to be someone that I loved. Um, and I think that's, it was like this, oh no, I have to do this. Um, just for the show. And, you know, I've always said I'd rather like us like go out with a big bang and get canceled rather than do something kind of weak just to keep the show going. Especially like ABC promotes it so much. Who's under the sheet? Who's under the sheet? It's like, oh my God, this has to be a big deal. And really when it comes down to it, it's all about uh, what begets more story for the characters and really for Annalise. It's always um, comes down to like, what do I want to watch Viola do? Um, and Wes being the character, or at least one of the student that's closest to her, it felt just big. But also with the flashback story structure, it lets you keep Alfie around for a while, so you didn't really have to say goodbye for so long. Um, I still haven't said goodbye, which has been great. Um, I'm, I'm in denial about it, but every episode, you know, this back half of the season, we're still writing things for Wes. Um, and even, you know, in this finale, I have all these things I get to write for Wes. Um, so it's like any, it kind of parallels what the characters are going through in a very small way. Obviously, no one really died. Um, but it does, my grief process about it, and my denial about it is also, um, it's very, uh, it's good fodder for writing the show. Now, Wes is obviously a major character. I was shocked when he was under the sheet. But I'm assuming Annalise is safe. Other than that, is anyone else safe? <laughs> In the grand scheme of the show, no. Um, there's a murder in the title. That's what I always say. And I mean, is Annalise safe? Yes, she's safe. But there's always different things you can do with the show, and or if we reinvented it, or I don't know. So I, I mean, no, you can't get too comfortable, Elizabeth. Mm -hmm. Well. <laughs> With that said, then, uh, will anyone else die in the back half of season three? There will be murders. That's what I'll say, because there are always... Well, <laughs> I don't... Yeah, there, I mean, there always are. Almost in every episode, there is either a client has died or there's dead people around. Um, but that's all I'll say. As for Annalise being safe... She could be safe behind bars. I mean, are we going to see Annalise in jail for the back half of the season? Yeah, we are going to see her in jail. And that was scary to me. Um, I remember when Viola heard that she was getting arrested early in the season, she was like, ooh, I'm excited. I want to see how Annalise survives in jail. And I was like, oh, God, that's right. We're going to have to, like, see her in jail. And... um I've seen a few of those episodes because, you know, I'm not that much ahead of you guys with what's cut and filmed. Uh, 
it's pretty glorious. Um, that's what's so exciting about getting to write for Viola is you just want to see her in all these different situations. And, you know, the first episode back, there's like a big story that just basically has to do with the toilet. And it's just fun to tell like a time, like it's fun to basically put your main character in a box and they can't leave. And it's terrifying, but then you'd find your it's it's a great writing exercise because you find these ways to tell stories in a different way. And I think that's why Viola is great is because she always encourages me to like do things that scare me. What is it like having an, I mean, we've talked about this before, but especially as the show has progressed, having Viola as a partner for you. She's my teacher. It, feel, it sounds so cheesy to say that, but she really is. Like, I feel like I'm going to grad school with some great, like, playwright teacher person. I think I'm getting to kind of draft off of her Juilliard training and all her theater <laughs> training. Um, and for someone who doesn't have that, me, um, that's really valuable. I even um, saw her yesterday at our read-through, and I just watched her speech um, introducing Meryl Streep and giving her that Lifetime Achievement Award. And I was like, Viola. She needs to introduce everybody at every award show. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And I was like, that was so well written. Mm -hmm. um, I was like, taking pointers. So she's, you know, ultimately she's a storyteller. She's an actor, obviously, but she's a storyteller in the most epic way. And that has been uh, just invaluable as a writer. And, you, you know, I never expected that. Like, as a showrunner and as someone who doesn't have as much experience as her, it's, it's a relief to be able to rely on her. Like if she doesn't believe it, then I know it's, we can do something better, a moment or a scene or a storyline. And if she gets excited, it excites me. I'm like, Oh good. We, we did something right. So it's the luckiest thing that's happened to my career. <laughs> Has she ever expressed any interest in directing an episode? Not to me. No, um, I think she can do anything she wants. <laughs> Run for president, maybe, mm -hmm. I hope. <laughs> she gets our vote. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to say, I'd vote. How, uh, have you thought about what a season four would look like? Are you there yet? Yeah, you always think about it. And I think the longer it goes on, I'm less terrified that's going to be canceled. You know, the first season, I wouldn't allow myself to think that because you don't want to jinx it. Um, but yes, I am thinking about season four, and it's actually a big hump to get over season three because, you know, the show is what the show is, and I don't want to rest on that. Like, I think I want it to change, and I almost feel like it has to change. So I'm grateful that I get to go and rest for a little bit and, you know, and dream about what the show could be if I want it to be similar or different or take a weird left turn we'll see what kind of changes would you do <laughs> you know move them to space <laughs> um, <laughs> well how long can they stay in law school that's a really big question and actually you'll see with what happens i don't know if they can <laughs> so <laughs> quizzical look across the room <laughs> mm -hmm. you know i What's so exciting about like TV right now and how everyone's pushing boundaries is there's, you know, what you start with with the show doesn't mean it has to stay that way. And I've always 
said that, but I'm actually starting to believe it. Like, yes, the law school was a big deal in the beginning, but sort of what's happened to their lives has eaten their law school careers, um, especially in this the episodes coming up. So we'll see. Like Annalise is in a lot of trouble, so it's going to be hard for her to stay, keep her job at the university. Like things are messed up. Have you thought about how many seasons you'd like the show to run for? No. I'd like to think that's out of my control. It's also just terrifying to think like, oh my God, I just, through season six, through season seven, for me, that's like like running a marathon. You don't want to think about all the miles up front. You just want to think about it one season at a time. And each season is never what I expect it's going to be. I can say, oh, it's going to be about this, and the themes are this, and we're going to end up here. And we end up in a completely different place. So, Well, you do change your story quite a bit from previous interviews that we've done. Uh, you know, even with this season, you said you didn't know who was under the sheet when you wrote that someone would be under the sheet. So do you have an end game for the series? I hate this question because it <laughs> makes me feel like a fraud when I say no, I don't. Um, I think so many of my favorite showrunners when they answer this question are like, of course, since the conception of the show, I knew exactly how it end and what the people would say to each other. Um, I think about it a lot, but I think I'm just going to accept my creative process. And I think it's the not knowing that keeps me interested Mm -hmm. and going. And I, you know, I dream about like the last scene, of course, but you just can't know. I mean, Shonda is still writing Grey's Anatomy when she created that. I can't imagine she thought it would, she'd be writing it in the 14th season or whatever Mm -hmm. it is. Mm -hmm. Um, So I don't know. I'd, I don't know, and I think that's okay. I'm telling myself that. It is okay. <laughs> we're not, we're, no one's saying that the show needs to end. I mean, I think... No, but as a creative person, sometimes you're like, if I was really confident in my vision and like a great planner, I would know that in my gut, you know, like how the story ended. But I just, I'm not that person. It's also a certain kind of show that fits that model, mm-hmm. and I think what yeah. Murder has done is kind of reinvent itself every season. It started as one kind of show, mm-hmm. now it's sort of become something else. I mean, and I only mean that in a positive way. Yes, and I didn't know that would happen either. I mean, like you, I think because we do these flash forwards, and I don't know really how the characters ended up there, it's really out of my control. It's kind of fun. It sounds like already farty but i love that i don't know and the show just takes on a mind of its own and i think for me that keeps it exciting and not like i'm you know an accountant you can bounce back and forth between being a procedural you can explore the personal lives of all the characters that you've created that gives you ample opportunity for storytelling definitely and i think with the network's network schedule and how fast we have to do things and how many episodes we have to make i mean it's not as many as shonda does but uh, it helps to be able to have the hybrid of that and be able to sometimes just rely on a case of the week to, you know, give answers to people that are close-ended for one episode. And um, I love the hybrid form. Talk about working in Shondaland. What has that meant for you as a writer? Well, it was my grad school. You know, I was an assistant in movies 
at Columbia Pictures, I worked for the president of production forever, and I knew nothing about TV when I wrote my first pilot. And then I got a job in TV in the writer's room on private practice. And that was crazy because I was completely a fraud. I had no idea what I was doing my first day and just pretending like I knew where do you sit and what do we, how do you break an episode of TV? And I just like lied my way through it. Um, and luckily Marty Knoxon, who was the showrunner of private practice, uh, was very patient with me. Um, so I got to go to grad school with all of these great writers. And then I started working on Grey's Anatomy and I have like 16 mentors there, um, as well as Shonda and Betsy. So it's, when I look back on it, I realize how lucky I was. Of course, at the time, I just thought I was like stressed and scared. I was going to get fired the whole time. So, um, it's weird not to have written TV in another universe, meaning like to have had different bosses and to have stayed at a company this long. I, I'm not, I don't consider myself a company man. I like change. Um, and obviously I've, I've changed going from one show to another to another. Uh, but I guess it's really nice. I guess I really like it there. <laughs> well, Viola went to Juilliard, but you went to Shondaland. I went to Shondaland, yeah, for grad school, exactly. (laughs) But it's certainly a good experience for learning how to tell stories, how to keep a plot going. Yeah, and watching Shonda... There's the craft of it, obviously, and the putting the pieces together and just the practical side of it that I learned. But really, and it was terrifying to watch Shonda's brain work because, you know, I would have been working on my episode for two weeks or something, and she'd come in and hear things and move it all around and put the pieces together and delve into the character emotional arcs in like five minutes and elevate it. And you're just like, how does her brain do that? But it was also, she would just always like take the biggest risks like on Grey's that we did like a shooter episode that just like, she came into the writer's room one day and was like, I have this idea to do this like great finale about, a shooter in the hospital. And I was like, that's a terrifying idea. Like that could go really wrong in the writing, but she always just like took the big swing. So I think without seeing that, I would never do a lot of the things we do on murder. I would never have the show obviously, but I would never burn it all down so much. How hands-on is she with you in murder? At this point, she's not very hands-on. And I think she would tell you the same thing. In the first season, she was definitely there for me and and like a good mom, like pushing me out of the nest because she wanted, I think she didn't want to like have to write it, you know, <laughs> forever. <laughs> she has a lot to write. I've um, noticed. <laughs> yeah. And I think she wanted me to own it a little bit more. And uh So I would ask her, when I got stuck, I would ask her for help, and I'd ask Betsy for help. I spent a lot of time on Betsy's couch because she's a good sounding board for me. Um, But at this point, uh, they let me do my thing, and sometimes I wish they didn't. You know, it would be nice to have have the resource to be like, Shonda, will you just write this storyline? I can't (laughs) figure it out myself. But she she, she would tell me, like, "Uh, no, that's your job. So uh, she's really good. I'll say this. I hope she doesn't get mad at me. She's great at dealing with broadcast standards and practices for me, uh, which is 
a strange legal world of what you can put on network TV. And she's a great lawyer. Like Shonda can like argue a point and that's why we kind of get to push the envelope so much on the show. So what's one thing you've learned from working with her? Oh, I learned so much. It's hard to know. What's the first thing that comes to my mind? You know, it's to not listen to people so much when they're like, if a room full of 10 people are telling you you're wrong, but you're just like, okay, I'm going to listen to this. I'm going to listen to this. But to know at the end of the day, you don't have to do what they want. You can still do what you want. Uh, and that's just like a life lesson I've taken from her. Uh, it's very liberating because it's yours. So you might as well do what you want with it and not, you know, the committee. You mentioned, uh, you know, that you're surprised with what you're able to put on the screen sometimes. Uh, I'm not surprised. I'm just happy that we mm -hmm. get to put certain things on the screen. Mm -hmm. <laughs> right. Well, then you answered my question. No, no, no. Tell me, tell me, tell me. <laughs> I know. I was just going to say, are you surprised with, not to mention the title, but what you get away with? Because there is, I mean, it is, you know, broadcast television and you do show a lot of sex scenes, a lot of violence. Are you surprised that the network lets you do that? I don't know if we show a lot of violence because I don't personally like watching gore and violence. Like I always like the Hitchcock method, mm -hmm. like what you don't see is more interesting than what you see. Um, that doesn't apply to the love scenes. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I'm not surprised. I'm actually kind of surprised sometimes with like what we can't say. I'm like, really? Like we can't say, what can I say on this? Say whatever you, whatever want. you want. We can't say dick. I've heard that before. That's which is so surprising. That's surprising. Yeah. It so feels not like a bad word at this no. point. Um, There's certainly recently far worse. I was right. told we can't say fluff, um, like which wasn't in a sexual context. I don't know. So it's always really bizarre. Like it's never the things you expect. Um, but we, you know what I'll say is about writing for network TV. I love the challenge of having to not say the dirty thing, but say, like to write around it. It's why mm -hmm. the first season we had this line that I'm really proud of, which is he did this thing to my ass that made my eyes water. And I like, remember that. <laughs> that was completely out of like, we can't say anything bad. Like what, what is he talking about? And then your mind goes to different places. So I love that. I love that about network TV. I'm trying to think how to ask this question. How do you think viewers are going to respond to the finale? Are they going to be surprised by the who did it? Yes. You know, I didn't think they would be surprised by Wes being under the sheet. And then you were, I think, the I, first person I saw. Elizabeth, mm -hmm. I was, you, I walked out of the screening and I think I said to Pete, I was like, I hate you. In the best way possible. But I was really surprised. I just, I didn't, yeah. I thought it was going to be Nate. I guess I didn't think, not that Nate is not as an important of a character well, as Wes, not, but... he doesn't have as big of a screen presence right. as Wes. And Wes is part of the original Keating Five, and I just didn't think you would go there, and then you went there. You went there. Yeah. So, 
based on, every time I'm like, oh, no one's going to be surprised they are. So I think, I mean, you'll have to tell me if you are surprised after you watch it. But it's not, yes, I like surprising the audience. Like, that's really fun. But it's more like, do you believe it? That's really the the challenge. And that's the terrifying part. Like, ooh, are we going to do this surprise and people don't believe it? And then they're like, whatever. This is a stupid show. I'm going to throw my remote at the TV. <laughs> um, that's what scares me. But I think what you do well, it was it wasn't just that here's a body under the sheep, but there's that other mystery behind it that he actually died before. Right. Yeah, I think you're right that what I've learned is sometimes the twist doesn't matter. It's the details of the how or the why. That's more interesting. Well, we're looking forward to more mysteries to come. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure talking with you. It's been so much fun. Thank you for having me. So that's what creator Peter Nowak had to say about this season of How to Get Away with Murder. We also got the chance to talk to a few key cast members, Alfred Enoch, who plays Wes, and Billy Brown, who plays Nate. Here's their take on the season. Hi, I'm Deborah Birnbaum, Variety's executive editor of TV. I'm Elizabeth Wagmeister, Variety's TV reporter. And it's my pleasure to welcome the stars of How to Get Away with Murder. We've got Alfred Enoch and Billy Brown. Thank you. Hello, how are you? <laughs> Listen to that. That now is something, isn't it? Alfred, let's hear the, the real accent the and real then the accent. TV accent. Oh, and then the TV accent. Yes. Oh, I shouldn't. Okay. And now I've switched. It's very difficult to mm-hmm. switch back. So this is the real one. Um, it's just going to sound phony to me. It always sounds bad when I... Uh, uh, I feel like I need to do a warm-up or something, or a dialogue. Well, there it is. There Exercise. It is. We're starting to hear it. It's it coming through. It comes back. It needs a little warm-up, but I'm not even going to use it, so that's that's as much as I'm going to give you. All right. Well, it's good to see you. Yes. Well, it's good to see you looking alive and well. Yes, thank you. And uh, it's nice for me not to have been in four hours of hair and makeup before coming today. Yes. Because that is what it costs to look as... Cost, cost, in terms of time, to look as uh, horrendous as that. They really did it to me, but... Um, yeah, it looked pretty grisly, didn't it? It looked pretty grisly. So the cliffhanger left you in pretty dire straits. Mm. Where do we find you coming back when we find the mid-season premiere? <laughs> <laughs> what can you tell us? Uh, just dancing around, happy as Larry, alive again. No. Um, look, there are going to be some flashbacks in terms of Wes's particular circumstances, but um, that's really to unravel the big mystery for the second half of the season, which is... What happened to him and how did he end up dead? Um, so that's what some of the characters are kind of... That's that's the trail they're on, not least Mr. Nate Leahy. Yeah, the biggest thing was finding out uh, that Wes didn't perish as the way we were led to believe mm-hmm. under the circumstances, which are most obvious to, uh, to our wonderful home viewers. And are you going to be investigating that case? Oh, Damn straight I am. <laughs> Listen to that. I, I back you as well. Nate's done so little investigating, but he's been investigated so much. In all, all cavities, in all conditions, ladies. <laughs> Time to turn the tide a little bit, you know what I mean? The gloves on this hand now. And who's top on your most wanted list? Um, all of them. Listen to that. I mean, really, I mean, and every single one of them has kind of effed me at one point or another. But uh, first things first, take care of uh, our old boy Wes and see how went, that went down, and we'll work backwards from there. 
Now, I know that you can't tell us what happened to Wes because this is the world of no spoilers in Shondaland. This is but variety. You've got juice, ladies. Yes. We do. Okay. Well, we're going to pull a juice. You can give us the juice. Uh, now, what can you tease about what happened to Wes? Is it somebody that we know that killed him before that fire or could it be a new person coming into the situation i mean there's a lot of suspects there's a lot of uh motivating forces out there in our universe from different different areas that could have uh driven anyone beyond the obvious uh keating students Mm -hmm. Uh, to uh commit this kind of heinous crime but it's never the way pete does it it's even for us as we read at the table it's never what we think is going to transpire which is uh, which is really nice. When do you get the scripts? Is it at the table reads that you first find out what's going to be happening? Well, I don't <laughs> read them until the table reads. So yeah, <laughs> keep <laughs> me, it fresh. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's amazing. I think you're yeah. just saying that because uh, yeah. it sounds good. Sounds he good. Does even, sound even good, on the right? first All reading, look at that. It's the side <laughs> It's not like Shakespeare. Um, so um, yeah, we usually get them. I mean, it depends, doesn't it? Occasionally we get them at the table read, but often we get them about. You know, a couple of days beforehand, uh, when it's kind of freed for our perusal. I mean, it kind of depends on the table readers as well. But there is always a little element of, there is often a little element of surprise because by the table reader there might be a new draft or something might have changed. So, you know, if you're working on the day or you don't get a chance to read it or if if you don't or whatever, you come to it. And, uh, you know, I think, I think. The writers, I think Pete enjoys that element of surprise when we come to it fresh at the table read. But from our perspective, it's good to get it as soon as possible because, you know, we work on a tight schedule and you want to, you know, you want to get it into your head as soon as you can. Really. Well, what kind of conversations do you have with Pete is about your characters and where the arc of the show is going? Um, it depends, really. Sometimes... At least in my experience, we discuss things going forward, and 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 I say, "Well, wouldn't it be interesting if this?" You know, we were talking a bit um, after after we found out that Wes was after I found out that Wes was the one under the sheet. Things that we hadn't seen him do, and interactions we hadn't seen him have with other characters, and we were talking about what we would have liked to see. Um, so you know, there's going to be an element of flashbacks coming forward. Um, um, and I think that was kind of an opportunity to think about what we wanted to see. But, you know, it's great because he's willing to to, to consider your kind of, uh, you know, your wish list, as it were. But that's not to say that's how it all works out necessarily because he's got a lot of things he's got to he's got to throw into the pot um but other than that often it's it can be reactive so it's you know you see something in the script and you say i'm not too sure about this or what if it was this or can you explain to me what what the idea was behind this and um it's nice to be able to go to him and and have that dialogue now at the end of uh the cliffhanger i spoke to pete and he said that you, Alfred, were actually very okay with the fact that he was killing off Wes. Can you talk a bit about why you would ever be okay with being killed off the show? <laughs> oh, yeah, why I'd ever be okay with unemployment. Um, <laughs> <laughs> foolishness. Uh, <laughs> I doubt he was okay with it. <laughs> he spoke very, very kindly of you, and he said oh, that nice. Alfred... Uh, Understood that this was good for the storyline and that you were excited for where the story would go. Yeah, I mean, that, that's, that really is it, to be honest. I mean, we've had a lot of West story. Um, and the show moves very fast and has got through a lot of stuff, but we haven't necessarily seen too much about some of the other characters. So I think it frees up space for that. Um, so I think that's a good thing. 
Um, I think also, you know, one thing Pete was interested in was had doing something which had an impact on as much of an impact as it could on as many of the characters as possible. And I think Wes's death, because of the way he's kind of become situated in the story and the things he's done, has that uh, effect and a very distinctive effect on each individual. So, um, so for all those reasons, I thought that's you know that seems that seems that seems good to me. Do you know what I mean? It, it kind of makes sense. Um, I mean, the difficult thing is is kind of coming to terms with the fact that I'm not going to have the. The pleasure of seeing this man on the regular. Yeah, we weren't okay with it. Uh, yeah. 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 The cast is not okay with it. Uh, well, you well, joked about unemployment, but do you uh, know what your future on the show is? Of course, there hasn't been a season four renewal yet, but right. after the flashbacks in the back half of season three, where do we go from there? Um, look, I mean, I, I, I think one of one of the things I, I I think is good about it is as I say it opens up store space in the story for the other characters um and i I think that it's difficult with the pace of the show to envisage that there's going to be too much more of Wes beyond the resolution of um you know beyond the resolution of who killed him um but you know that said i you know I, it's it's, it's <laughs> It's not my baby. Like I, you know, I. It's the, those aren't my decisions to make. So that that will be in Pete's hands. But um, but I, I I would I would be surprised. But you know, we'll see. Yeah, we'll see exactly. Well, on the flip side, Billy, were you relieved mm-hmm. to find out that you weren't under the sheet? You were pretty much the other suspect. Yeah, you know what? Uh, I was joking with some of the cast. It's going to be one of the brothers, I said. <laughs> I, mean, I know it's not a horror movie, but the black guy's got to go down. Um, <laughs> um, aside from that, I, uh, I mean, there's always a little relief, but, you know, you're. I learned from other shows I've been on that, you know, the axe can fall at any moment. And most likely when you either least suspect it. Or if, as Alfred has said, the uh, the storyline for that character within the, the greater narrative has uh, you know has served a greater purpose as it as it could by that point, um, you know, in the following on Dexter it was the same kind of thing. We didn't expect it when it when it happened, but the showrunners felt at that time it would have the greatest impact for the audience because they had either fallen in love with whatever we were doing collaboratively, myself. Uh, and the writers and the producers, and boom, take the rug out from underneath them, mm. and all of a sudden they think, holy shit, <laughs> that can happen. What else can go down? Right. Um, so it's just another story point that had to be served. So I, I learned that, and uh, you know, you got to do what you got to do when you're given the opportunity, but you can't, mm. you know. Talk about working with Viola Davis. You, pro- you two are probably the ones that have the most interaction with her. What is that mm. like for you as actors? Great kisser. Variety brings you the honesty. Yes. Wow. Goodness. That's great. Because I've wondered. Yeah, you did, huh? <laughs> I mean, just watching your scenes. That was a whole that's new scene. That's, that's, that's a new twist. That's season four. Yes. <laughs> How to get away with incest. <laughs> <laughs> Goodness, um. I will. I will say, uh, as I said before, that the most salient example is when she picked up the Emmy. Um, obviously, we can talk about yesterday after table read. She didn't bring the uh, the Golden Globe in, but it was fresh uh, on the mantle. But 
that Monday after she won the Emmy, I had seen her out, you know, at various events, and you know she's uh, enjoying her enjoying her time. But Monday afternoon, she came in, and the material needed some work. It was some heavy lifting between Annalise and Nate, and it wasn't there yet. Notes had been given. They had been sent back, and there was the exchange of ideas. But even still, Viola stepped in with her rugs and her hoodie and was like, listen, let's fix this. Nobody's doing anything more until this gets right. And she usually could have phoned the afternoon in, but she said, nope. This is how we do things. Let's raise it and keep raising it. And uh, when it's ready, we'll start working. And the director uh, signed off. The, uh, the supervising writer was there. She went back to the drawing board, the war room consulted with Pete and uh, we got it done and it was better for it so she's always yeah. always available always present always working um, and then she's supremely intelligent in that way and witty and smart outside of the actual process the work mm. so when we're at the cast chairs or at an event you know the charm is always there mm. you know the, she's just a she's a cool babe if you will mm. <laughs> Now, I want to get back to Nate and Annalise's storyline, but uh-huh. first, Alfred, what have you learned from working opposite Viola Davis? Uh, you know, it's 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 difficult to kind of, you know, itemize <laughs> in that way. Um, as with kind of all our experiences, you know, working with people and interacting with people, we gain a lot. and it's. Uh, um, but, I, you know, I'd be hard-pressed to be like, on day one, Viola told me this, that, and the other. But um, but I think what Billy's saying really, you know, rings a bell, obviously, because that's how she is. She's very committed in her work, um, socially, personally. You know, it's it's very it's very good to be in a position like we are where you're working on a network television show with someone kind of at the helm who is uncompromising in that way about the quality of what we're doing um, and what she brings to the scenes and what she wants from the story. And it's to the benefit of all of us. Um, so that's something that is really, you know, I, I, you know, I think about this experience. I, I, I have a lot to be directly grateful to Viola for because... Um, of the way the show has taken shape and, and the kind of thing it has become, it wouldn't have, it, w- it would be something different without her. Uh, and it's unquestionably much better for it with her. Um, but it's on the, on the kind of most basic level to get to, you know, to get to do a, to get to, you want as an actor always to be working with talented people, not just talented people, skilled people, committed people. Um, you know, people who give you a lot to play with when you're in the scene with them. Do you know what I mean? People who 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 are bringing a lot to the table. Um, and self-evidently, that's 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 the case with Viola, and it's it's exciting. You know, that's kind of the best. That's where you. That's that's you're always learning in this job. You know, and and one of the best ways of learning is to be putting yourself with people who are who are bringing a lot. And so I'm very you know, grateful for that. <clears throat> now, uh, Annalise, of course, is in jail when we return. But assuming she may get out of jail, uh, where does the relationship stand between her you and Nate? the rest of the season, she's just locked up. The rest of the series, she's just behind bars. <laughs> season up. 8, Viola, behind Solo bars. Exactly. <laughs> Not the show we planned, Pete. Right? <laughs> yeah. 
I would imagine that conversation would be a little uncomfortable. So, Billy, can you talk about the relationship between Nate and Annalise going forward? Uh, greater suspicion than ever on Nate's part. Because the culmination of, uh, of subterfuge and, and lies and all the skullduggery, I mean, it's come to such tip of the spear that anything emanating from her vocally or otherwise, a body movement, a gesture, Nate looks at as, I, how can I trust? I can't see any truth from anything involved with the Keatings. Um, so Nate's got to navigate as best, uh, as best he can around the perceived pitfalls based on past experiences. Um, because he doesn't know that there's, there's good in, uh, in Annalise, but she doesn't make it easy. How does working in Shondaland and this level of plot and churn and spoilers compare to other experiences that you've had? Um, the thing that's, that stands out the, the most is, uh, you know, it's a show, I shouldn't say four, but, you know, our, our number one protagonist is a woman. So most of the scenarios, if you were to lay this type of storyline out on paper, I, who I am, would be kicking in a door or brandishing a weapon or choking somebody or swinging from a rooftop or racing down the street in a car and then demanding this. I wouldn't be strip searched, you know, um, and cavity searched and then... um, (laughs) made to lie on the stand and lose my job. Those kind of things, you know. So the script is flipped in such a way that it's all new for me. So those moments of vulnerability that would otherwise uh, not be explored, um, it's a great new opportunity. As Alfie was saying, to learn from um, each scene we're doing, Viola and I. You know, I I get to play and explore moments that otherwise haven't been tapped into. Uh, creatively, so within Shondaland, within um, you know the pantheon of the show she's created, ours is streamlined in that same direction with uh, with our number one being uh, Annalise Keating, and things revolving around her universe. And uh, I'm just another planet there, so happy to be in orbit. That was close. That was close. That was close. That was really good. Barely got out of that one. (laughs) (laughs) Alfred, what about for you? Um, What's different about this and other experiences? You know what? I'd I'd, a lot. (laughs) I'd never. I'd never done network television. I'd never worked in the states. I'd never. I'd never actually really done... I'd done bits of TV, but not... I hadn't kind of had an experience of kind of accompanying a character other than Harry Potter, but, uh, I mean, what I, what I had to do was, 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 was much, much less. So accompanying a character over a period of time, and I remember the, the kind of the, the bizarreness of the first table read we had in L.A. after we'd shot the pilot. Um, and I, you know, we I'd kind of lived with that script for a while because you know I got it and we shot the pilot. And we had time to shoot the pilot. You know, we did it in like three weeks or something, and we were out in Philly for a week before that. And all of a sudden, <clears throat> there's more to the story, <laughs> and that's something I really hadn't experienced. 
um, in that way. You know, I, I, you know, Harry Potter accepted, but what I'd been doing before that was I'd be doing plays in London. So you know, you 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 know your arc, you know where you're going, you know the journey of your character, and you construct accordingly. But to turn up to the table read and find out what happens next was fantastically exciting, and I think that's one of the kind of amazing things about television is the way that it can develop and extend a story and within that the possibilities to transform those characters um, which obviously you have in other media as well but to be able to do it over a period of time is, is really unusual so that was a, a real gift to be able to spend that this much time you know I'm looking back on it in like three years with a character that's, that's something I'd never done before well, unfortunately, we have to end it there, but thanks so much for joining us, and we look forward to seeing how this season wraps up. Thanks, ladies. Appreciate it. Thank you very much. Thanks Good to for talk to the you. Time. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this week's show. We'll be back next week with another great episode. We'll be talking to the cast and creators of 24 Legacy, the reboot of the hit Fox series. This has been Remote Controlled, only on Variety. Variety.